Hello. Welcome to Eliminate Migration Confusion, Speed Migrations with Automated Tracking. I'm Michael Shosheni. I'm a Senior Product Manager on AWS Migration Hub. And uh, our service, the Migration Hub, helps customers discover, plan, and track their, their migrations to AWS. Uh, and it's being used to help customers uh, do that with mass migrations uh, into AWS. Co-presenters, Diego. So my name is Diego. I'm a Partner Solutions Architect in AWS, and I'm specialized in migrations. Uh, part of my role is to support our consulting partners on how to build their migration factories. So I have uh, delivered over 100 uh, workshops around how to set up and build uh, those factories uh, to accelerate migrations. So thank you all for coming today. I'm going to give a quick overview of the agenda. <clears throat> so first, overall, we're going to learn how to help you accelerate uh, your migrations to AWS. And this is going to be based on uh, our best practices and what we've learned helping, helping cu customers move uh, tens of thousands of applications, you know, hundreds of thousands of servers, uh, and, and many, many, many portfolios into AWS. Um, and so we'll start by talking a little bit about what we've learned in the migration journey overall, what processes and, and pieces help. We'll talk about that very briefly. Uh, then we'll talk about the, the benefits of migration automation and discovery automation and why it's important to your business and to your migrations and how it can help reduce migration confusion. Um, <clears throat> then we'll show some example architectures of how discovery and migration automation uh, can, can help you build uh, can help you accelerate. And these architectures are real real migration, blue, uh, ex real automations that have been used for discovery and migration. And then we'll demo pieces of those architectures and show you uh, how those pieces work. Um, so if you like moving five servers a week when you have thousands to move and very tight deadlines, this probably isn't the right session for you. Um, but if you want to get to being able to move hundreds of servers per week, which is what many of our customers can do and are doing and have done via what we're going to talk about today, uh, then you're going to get to see one example of how you can do that and apply that throughout your portfolio and your migrations. So customers, when they're migrating to AWS, they often ask us a couple questions. They said we love, they, they come to AWS because they, they love the innovative uh, nature of Amazon. And, uh, Andy Jassy's talked a lot about how they view us as an innovation platform that helps supercharge their business and gives them superpowers. Um, and so they say, how do we transform our IT and developer culture and our company culture into something that's more like Amazon so that when we move, we've, we, we move in such a way that we're, we're becoming uh, more agile and delivering more value to our customers more quickly and, and have a, a business that's better serving our customers. And so one of the key tenets at Amazon, we tell them, is automate as much as you can as, so that you can move as quickly as possible and do so with confidence. And that, that comes in into how you migrate. And so we use the migration journey as, a, as an opportunity to help customers start learning how we operate. And that's what a lot of what we talk about today in automation is what's ingrained in our culture in Amazon. I'll provide a couple examples as we go through, and then you'll see that, uh, the architecture and the demos at the end that kind of highlight that. <clears throat> so, when I say automation, though, I'm talking about a specific type of automation for, for migrations. We, we recommend uh, and we've, we've observed that the fastest way to move into AWS and start realizing the benefits of the AWS cloud uh, as soon as possible, as early as possible, is to lift and shift most of your portfolio when that's possible. Um, and th this lets you start getting out of your data center, if speed is your concern, and taking advantage of AWS and then using AWS to, to more quickly experiment and in, uh, improve your infrastructure. Now, a lot of customers' goals is, are, is to move quickly when migrating. Uh, if that's not your goal, uh, we, ha we do have, uh, there's other, there are other goals when migrating. Some customers want to refactor and be cloud native day one, uh, and, and, can be, and are, many are successful at that. Uh, and I'd love to talk afterwards about that. Uh, but today we're going to focus on what, when you're moving hundreds of applications and thousands of servers, what's a proven way to accelerate that and move very quickly. So when you're migrating your portfolio, uh, this overall process can take a long time, the one I have up here. This is our migration acceleration program, and these are very high-level five stages. Discover, plan, design, migrate, and optimize. The discover phase is where you're going to learn about your infrastructure, your, their dependencies. You're going to make your business case. Uh, you're going to do a total TCO analysis. Uh, and 
And then you're going to feed that into your, your migration plan, and you're going to start planning the overall ordering of your migration. And then for each application you're going to move, you're going to design that, uh, that, that, migrate, that application in AWS. You're going to design how you're going to migrate it. And then finally, you're going to migrate it. Uh, and as you're migrating into AWS, that, that part, the migrate, the migrate phase, is the one that's going to take you the longest time when you're moving thousands of servers and hundreds of applications. And that's where automation can really benefit you. And we have some tools available to help you with that and, and some, some things you can do, we're going to talk about and show. And finally, we, re we recommend when you're moving a large portfolio, once you're in AWS, that's the time to optimize. Because you can do very easy things that you probably couldn't do on-premise. Like, you can start more easily instrumenting all your applications and monitoring them and their performance. Uh, you know, CloudWatch gives you things out of the box to monitor your EC2 instances. Uh, you can alarm on them. And then you can start focusing your optimization efforts on the things that are going to bring you the most value. You can also do things like spin up whole copies of, of your prod production stacks, and your developers can just delete them when they're done in, in, in a matter of minutes. And that's a lot harder to do on-premise, but once you're in AWS, it's, you're, you're free to do that. And you're out of your data center, and you're save, already saving money, and then you can start getting some of the other benefits of, of moving pieces of your, your applications to native AWS services and some of our partner tools. And the other note here is I said this is a long process. For, for, big, for big portfolios, this can take anywhere, you know, the migration phase can take anywhere from months to, in some cases, years if it's, it's, if it's large. Um, the benefit of, a, of take, spending the time to automate as much as possible up front is now instead of your teams competing with their day jobs to migrate and manage migrating your portfolio, you can migrate with confidence because it's very similar arch app architecture to what you had on premise. And your teams can be getting up to speed if they need to on all the, the, all the great things that they can now do on AWS. So starting to build a DevOps culture and, and modernizing your IT operations. You can spend the time, instead of focus, having them focus on migrating, uh, and getting ready to now operate in this whole, the whole new paradigm that's in the AWS cloud. <clears throat> so when you're migrating, Applications are the, the unit of migration. Now, it, it so happens that most customers already manage their IT portfolios as apps. That's why it's one of the key, uh, key uh, component unit of migration. Within applications, there are, there are three main fundamental units. They're building blocks, the servers, the databases, and the data. And sometimes you have some more unique things. There's, there's often sometimes still mainframes hanging around in certain companies and other things. But the bulk of, of big portfolios tends to be these three things. And just to give some examples of applications that we, you, know, you probably have or you've seen, is SharePoint will have all three of these things. You'll have, a, you'll have an app server or servers if it's a cluster. You'll have a SQL server database. And you'll, you'll probably have a, a Windows file share. Uh, WordPress uh, often will be an app server and a MySQL server or another database, uh, SQL database engine. And uh, ER, an ERP would be uh, so probably some, so often sometimes some unique uh, storage appliance uh, and an application server and a database server. And you might have multiple ones of those depending on how the app scales, if you need scale, or if it's clustered. And so if you move, uh, if you move these lift and shift, you, you, you want to be really good at, at, at doing lift and shift because it's repeatable. And so with these types of apps, you can use tools for, for each of these particular uh, units and, and, and then automate the use of those tools. And by doing that, you can start unlocking those high rates of movement. Because what often happens, we've seen on customer engagements, uh, a lot of them with partners and, and directly uh, through our professional services, is that you can build a pattern library for your applications, an, an, an automation pattern library, and then apply it to most of your applications. And then depending on your company, that might be uh, you know, any number of patterns. But the time to build those automations pays off uh, very quickly. And I'll talk about that. Uh, here in a second, wh why that pays off and what the benefits are. So that's why you want to have the confidence to move fast, and that's where automation and the demos uh, Diego is going to show at the end are going to focus on the two, these two phases, discover and migrate. And the reason we, we, I said migrate takes the longest, but the reason we call out discover is because you can't migrate at speed unless you, unless you do a really good discovery. And customers, you can you can do this manually, or you can use tools. And there's a lot there's there's a lot of tools across the board here available in all the phases. Um, but the discovery tools available from AWS and partners 
Uh, you can use them to automate your collection and your analysis, and that's going to that's going to get you the high quality data you need to then build a, a, a good plan, and and then move really fast when you get to that long the long pole, which is the migration phase. So why why should we automate our discovery as much as possible? And I and I say as much as possible. I do want to kind of make a note here, we're not, we're not saying that you should automate everything in your migration. If you think that's achievable in your organization, uh, that, then, then go for it. But the, the key is to automate the, the things that are the most repeatable and give you the highest value. And you don't have to automate it at the level of, say, um, what you might for production software you're going to release to your customers. Unless, of course, you're, you're moving your most critical apps, then you're, you're going to hopefully have a lot of those testing already or want to build it before you move. Um, but you are, you are going to use a lot of scripts. Uh, and some infrastructure to run those scripts. And that's what uh, Diego will show you some approaches for that. And that's going to let you move with, first with speed. Um, so on the discovery side, the number one thing you can do is use a discovery tool. We'll, talk, uh, we'll show the application discovery service. That's AWS's discovery tool uh, that's free of charge. Our partners have some phenomenal discovery tools um, that are available too that, that all, each do some, have some different strengths. Uh, and then after that, you want to automate the analysis or the use of your discovery analysis as much as possible. And that's one of the things we'll show you an example of. And so that data-driven discovery can give you a very quick, uh, very reliable and accurate uh, total cost of ownership. Uh, you can make, make planning decisions as you get ready to migrate much more quickly because you know you have a high view, of, you, you have a high confidence in what you see. And so that, that feeds into accuracy. So iterative discovery and using the discovery data to feed, you know, finding, finding servers and databases and storage that you haven't yet discovered, but you see in some of the data coll automatically collected, you can get a complete view or as close to complete as, as a ch a possible of your infrastructure. And with that accuracy, you can then have confidence when you're talking to your app owners. We're not removing people from the, from, from the migration process. We're trying to help you in discovery and migration to accelerate those, but you're st it's still going to be a very people-heavy process. And so when you go to talk to your app owners, if you've, done, uh, if you've done a detailed discovery using a tool, it's more of a discussion about validating that discovery data than it is, hey, wh what does your app look like? What are your requirements? Because your discovery is going to collect performance info. It's going to collect, in many cases, network dependencies. And so you're going to have a very high level of confidence when you're talking to them, like, yo, these are the servers in your app. Now, we might be missing, maybe you tell me, are we missing a whole component? Um, but uh, you'll, you'll be able to, it'll be a much quicker conversation. Instead of having, in some cases, three, four conversations, you're tracking somebody down where migrating that app's not their day job because they're the app owner. Now, instead, you're just saying, you're, you're going to them and saying, is this right? And they say, yeah, or we need, to, we need to tweak something. You go come back to them one more time based on the data, and you can, you can move on from, from discovery and the discussions about moving that app, and you start planning it. So benefits of migration automation. So you want to spend time on the highest value activities. That's true across anything you do in business. Um, and your migration factory takes up the most time. But if you're lifting and shifting, you, you can have your team can be doing higher valuable higher value things related to migration, like learning more about AWS and getting ready to identify the apps that you want to actually you want to modernize and refactor. Um, so by 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 focusing on speed, you have let you can have with automation you have less people moving migrating things, and instead they're they're doing other things like learning learning about AWS or already focused on something that moved in. Once you move one, the first app in, you could start modernizing that. Um, next up is repeatability. So there's a lot of moving parts in a migration, no matter which approach you take, rehost or replatform, which is lift, often called lift and shift, those two, um, those two stra migration strategies. Um, they're gonna, you're going to find a lot of repetition. And this is a, this is a good, good tie into that. I mentioned customers ask us, well, how do you do it at Amazon? We want to do it that way. Um, at Amazon, repeatability is a very clear signal to us that okay, we need to script this. <laughs> or even if it's not repeatable, we're very careful about automation so that, that it's reliable. And so we don't want anything manual that can be scripted. In general, that's our rule. And that, that takes time. It's often called in the DevOps world, sanding the board. Um, and so we know people make mistakes. And what we'll do is when we identify our developers or engineers or someone identifies a process or something they're doing that needs to be scripted, the, the or needs to be automated, the mechanism is, OK, we're going to take the time to automate that. Assuming if, if the question is, and oftentimes with these migration automations, it's, it's a relatively short time frame. Uh, for the bulk of your apps to automate it because our migration tooling from us and our partners makes it really easy. Uh, it's a question of, oh, 
it take you a day to, to automate this and then no one ever has to do it again, or we just have to maintain that script in, uh, in source code? We're going to say yes. Like as a product manager, if I ever encounter an engineer who's, who's saying, well, I could have scripted that, but it would have taken me a day, it, it's going to be an awkward conversation. <laughs> at, but luckily at Amazon, we rarely have those. Like that's, uh, and that's, that's kind of ingrained in our culture. And that's, that's kind of, it, it takes time to see the, uh, initially, you know, it takes time to bring your team along. But it's once they start seeing the benefits, they're spending less time doing repetitive stuff, it makes them really happy. Uh, and of course, it has a lot of value to your business. And, and one of those is traceability. And I'll talk about that in a second. But you're going to be using several tools and you want to be able to track that progress automatically. And as most, most big projects within your company, you're going to have an executive sponsor and key stakeholders, business stakeholders that want to know how things are going. Um, and Diego's demos and it, our automation architecture is going to show you how you can leverage AWS services and some scripting to automatically be giving them dashboards and status reporting. And so your migration leads don't have to go track it down. So I mentioned that you're, there's tools that can help you. This is a sampling of, of, our, of AWS resource migration tools and migration tools in the AWS competency. And there's server tools here, like the server migration service, Adadata is a partner tool, Cloud Indoor, River Meadow. Uh, there's database migration tools, like our own database migration service and Attunity. There are more than this in our migration competency, which you can see on our website. Anything, any tool in our migration competency has met a high technical bar. Uh, Diego works very closely with the competency, so if you have any questions about that too, we'll have some question time at the end. Um, the, uh, there's some storage stuff here, uh, uh, tools, AWS Storage Gateway, which is, uh, is, is one of our, uh, has been around, one of our older migration tools, been around for a, a long time. And then just launched uh, early this week was AWS DataSync. And that, uh, that helps you uh, move at, a, at very high data rates, uh, 10 gigabits per second per agent from NFS to EFS or S3. Uh, it's, it's about 10 times the speed of commercial and open source uh, synchronization engines. So I encourage you, if you have a, a lot of storage to move, take a look at, at DataSync. It's, it's very good at um, saturating those connections. So you have all these tools, and you're going to apply them. If you remember, the application has three different fundamental units. You're going to apply, some, most customers are going to apply at least two, if not three, of these tools. Everybody usually has servers, databases, and storage. In some cases, you might need a few more than that, depending on what the tool can do uh, and which ones you want to use and your, and your security requirements. Um, and your, our, our account managers and our, uh, our partners, our migration partners, can help you very quickly downselect them. Um, but this, this creates a good problem to have. Because how do you actually track and manage this many migrations? And so when you're moving hundreds of apps and thousands of servers, that you've created this problem for yourself um, because you need multiple tools to move all these things. And so there's no easy way to track the state of, this, of this migration, these migrations in a single place. Um, and so what makes this worse is, these, these, unfortunately, these tools, they're very focused, as, as they should be, on moving your resources. Um, and so the, the result is many customers uh, up until last year were manually updating Jira and Excel or other pro project management tools and gathering the status and then reporting out on the, app, on the application statuses and the migrations over all their portfolio. And then they were um, uh, building manual dashboards based on that to report to key stakeholders. And that's why we have AWS Migration Hub. The hub is a single place to discover, plan, and track your migrations. Um, these, the status from these tools is always changing, and we have some of the tools I showed you are integrated with the hub. Um, it's available at no charge, and you can use it for tracking migrations into any region. And it integrates with our application discovery service, uh, or you can use, we have a lot of great uh, partner discovery tools. Um, and you can track application migration statuses, so all those pieces as apps, in one place when you're using an integrated tool. Diego's going to demo uh, and show you the, the dashboard there that's on the left, and we'll, we'll dive in a little bit too on the app application details page that has app status from tools on the right. So I'm going to go through that. Uh, here pretty quickly now. All right, so uh, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Diego to start diving into some example architectures and demos. All right, so Zon, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, so let's uh, describe a scenario in a challenge that we see in a customer that was executing migration. They want to move faster, and uh, we try to do our best to automate that specific scenario. So the scenario we're going to describe uh, I break out uh, into two different um, automation pieces. The first one is the discovery. The second one is the migration factory. And I'm going to show how those two are connected and how we are able to accelerate that uh, customer migration. 
Uh, maybe not all the pieces of this example uh, architecture will fit for you, but I want you to be open to think about ways you can automate your own and to create your own migration factory. So the challenge that we have started with a very simple application. It was a two-layer application, uh, web server, uh, database server, nothing fancy here. You might ask yourself, why would I need to automate this kind of migration? Can just make a dump restore on the database and just reinstall the application stack? That's not hard. What if you have 100 servers to migrate? And what if you have 1,000 servers to migrate? So that's when it starts getting really challenging uh, to coordinate all these efforts into our migration factory. So we started, as I mentioned, with the first part, which is automating the discovery. Migration projects generally start with an Excel spreadsheet full of servers, and that's nothing wrong about it. Uh, that, that's actually generally how it starts. And we can call that the quick, quick discovery, because quick discovery doesn't have all the elements that we need to plan our migration. For this specific customer, we decided to do a quick discovery using application discovery services. Uh, it's an AWS product that uh, has two operation modes. The first one is agentless, so it's a simple virtual appliance you install into your VM environment, and that quickly discovers servers for you. Information is high level uh, using application discovery services, so we use uh, application service. So we use that information to build up a very simple Ansible script that deploy application discovery services agents to all the machines that we discover with the quick discovery. So we start just deploying those scripts. It's a very for, simple for loop, just iterate through the items, the server names, and deploys agents for me, uh, annotated installation. That's um, not really, um, really hard to implement. Good thing about application discovery services, once the agents are installed, they start sending data to application discovery services in AWS. And um, there's a lot of valuable information that will help you to plan and right size your servers uh, based on the data that's being collected. Uh, Michael's going to demonstrate uh, some of the data and insights that you can have out of that data. And uh, recently we integrated application discovery services with Amazon Athena. So that means you can build some SQL scripts to extract the exact data that you need to build up your migration groups and migration waves. As part of the exercise, we, uh, one additional thing that was used for that, uh, for this specific customer was, uh, we run a script that um, monitors all the network connections that were happening into the application layer, and map all the uh, IP addresses that were part of the connection that did not have uh, the application discovery service agent install. So we keep we use that output from this script as an input again to the installation script to start installing more agents into this environment. So we finally had a full discovery and a full visualization with a lot of richness information, uh, with a lot of uh, very deep detail information for this environment. Yeah, and just to kind of add a note there, so. Diego started with the, the agentless, the rap quick discovery, and, and that gets you sort of your performance information that you're going to need to do a business case and to, to start uh, planning your migrations. And then he's iteratively running the, run, installing these agents, and the, the script isn't, it's monitoring Athena, the output from the agents for these network connections. And so he's very able to, we, customers who do this are able to very quickly kind of exhaust their, their portfolio and make sure they've got everything, most of their portfolio covered, anything that's connected at least to other things. Yeah, thank you. So uh, what I'm gonna show here is an example of doing that dependency analysis in the application discovery service. Um, so as that agent is collecting, it's, it's continuously streaming its data to, the, to, a, to ADS, application discovery service, uh, and ADS is, is storing that making that data available in S3 and Athena. Uh, and you can also visualize that very easily in QuickSight, which I'll show in a, uh, in, in a, few, in a demo in a couple slides. Um, so the first thing you can do is analyze dependencies. And this is a two-part query, because uh, I'm going to join it in the second one on some extra data that I have. And Athena makes that very easy. Um, this is available. A variation of this uh, network dependency query is available uh, in, our, in the application discovery service documentation. Um, so the first thing we're doing here is we're collecting source IP, des destination IP, destination port, and we're counting, the key one is, we're counting the frequency that this, this particular connection happened between these two servers, these two IPs, uh, on this port number. Uh, and then, in the second query, uh, we're, we're going to, 
We're going to join this on another table that has the host name mapping. Uh, and so in, in this particular example, uh, I, didn't, I didn't use the host name the agents read because I had a, a, a DNS, uh, DNS names that I wanted to use from, uh, from my CMDB. And so I simply just uploaded the CMDB to Athena, and now I can uh, join the data on it. And so I'll show that real quick here. If you're not familiar with Athena, this is the Athena console. On the left, in the, uh, the upper left corner, there are all the tables that when you turn on uh, sending your data, ADS data to Athena, the tables it populates continuously. So this data is streaming in in real time. And I just ran that query I showed. And so now I've got an ordered list by frequency of the source and destination hosts. And this gives me a strength of the connection between the two. And the server dependencies are very key for defining your application groupings. And so in the application discovery service, this is how you do that analysis. Uh, some customers prefer a visual um, uh, dependency diagram and visualization, and some of our partner tools offer that. And some of the partner tools also offer automated, automatic sort of, they have their own internal databases of application and tagging. Um, but you, with ADS, you can do all that in Athena and bring in your own data sources. Um, and so the next example, is one of those tagging examples. So I'm going to bring in an, uh, the, the IANA uh, official port data, na service name database. Um, and so we'll join all the destination traffic we see uh, with that. And I'm going to use this, the output from Athena to tag my servers in the application discovery service with the services, official services it sees. Uh, now, oftentimes, we see a lot of traffic uh, on customers' networks from the things you would expect, uh, Windows file sharing, Active Directory, uh, you know, NetBIOS. Um, and so you might want to filter those things out. Most customers do. Once you know, assuming you know where your directory, your, your AD server is and other things. Uh, and that gives you a much cleaner view. And so you could also do that. And that's a really important activity when you're tagging servers is I may not want to tag all my servers with, hey, this was talking outbound on, um, on, a, on, or inbound to a server or outbound on NetBIOS, for example. And so if I run this query here, uh, it's, it's hitting that same application discovery service table. I uploaded the IANA CSV. In, it's very, there's a thing on the left to upload your own uh, new tables via CSV. And I joined it. And now I have a list. And what I could do is in the upper right corner, or you can do this programmatically in a script. Uh, you can do all this with a script. Uh, I could download the CSV. And I could run, run through it and tag my servers and then do more analysis in Athena or externally uh, on what each one is running and, and dive into that. And then in the next, oh, there we go. Um, and so here I'm actually showing the server dependencies now visualized in, in QuickSight. So if you're not familiar with Athena, Athena is a data source available in QuickSight, which is our, our BI visualization engine. On the left column is, um, is the source host name, and on the bottom, uh, the x-axis is the destination, and then inside, this is, the, this is just using the, the table I showed earlier, the query with the frequency. So the heat map is the frequency with which the source and destination are speaking to each other. Now, as you can see, the left column is my, my domain controller, which is pretty predictable, um, is often the case. What you could do is if you wanted to get a better view of everything other than your domain controller, there's a little filter button there on the right in the upper corner of this one. There's a lot of different ways to filter with QuickSight. This is one of them. Uh, I could filter out that server. I could actually click on it and filter it out. Um, but I, right now, I'm just kind of exploring which ones are talking to each other and what strength. And so this gives you a very clear visualization to do it with, rel, rel, with, with not much effort. So once I have that dependency data and I've analyzed it, that's when I can start looking at my application um, dependencies. And so once I've grouped my application, so I've jumped ahead a little bit. I've tagged them. I've looked at the strength of connections, and I've identified my app groupings. Or maybe I brought them in from a CMDB and then updated them. Um, that's often the case. Most customers say, hey, my CMDB is out of date, but it's a good starting point. And then you compare it against the discovery data, and now you have your app groupings. And so here, I've done the same visualization, but now it's my app dependencies instead of my server dependencies. And this is going to feed into my planning phase. So I already did that. The, the server groupings is part of the discovery phase I showed earlier in that top-level diagram. Now I'm able to say, what ordering am I going to move these applications in based on their dependencies? Obviously, I'm going to, have to do a lot of planning around the moving of my AD controller. That's the, the really uh, the, where you see all the blue in the center. Um, but there's, there's all sorts of applications talking to things. Uh, and then finally, there's also other data that you're collecting that you can use uh, for, for tagging and uh, other, other discovery activities. I'm just showing an example here of visualizing the operating system. You can use this tagging strategy, for example, to put some information that can be used to automate our migration. One example is 
if I already know the cutover date and the maintenance window for some specific application, I can just create a tag for that. So I can build, for example, a cron tab or a, uh, some other job scheduler that's going to read a file, it's going to check the tag, and if it's on the certain, if it's ready to be migrated, it's going to trigger some action. So tagging is really important when you're thinking about automation. You can build up, for example, other tagging strategies like these are my database servers. If a database tag equals, uh, if a server type tags equals database, you already know what kind, kind of script to invoke or what kind of migration you're going to execute for that specific kind of server. So tagging is one of the key elements when it comes to automation. So um, describing now how we build up the migration factory. So we already start, uh, remember that I mentioned during the discovery phase, we built like an Ansible script that was capable of installing application discovery services into our servers. I'm just reusing the same script to install Cloud Endure agents uh, in our servers that we have applications running. So uh, I defined two migration strategies for uh, this customer. All the databases we decide to migrate using database migration services, uh, the AWS service. And uh, for our application servers, we decide to use a third-party tool, Cloud Endure, and I'm going to explain the reason uh, of that uh, architecture decision. Can I, just really quick on Cloud Endure, just to, it, it is a, it's a block-level replicator, uh, and it, uh, it has, uh, I, uh, it, I don't know their exact RTO and RPO, but it's... No, it's, it's really low, like yeah. ten, less than two minutes or 10 minutes, you can cut over an application uh, when executing the migration. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and it's agent-based, so it can help you migrate physical and, and VMs. Um, and so just this is a good example of, of your choice with, with discovery tools. Uh, if, you, uh, if you're pure VMware or mostly VMware or mostly Hyper-V uh, and you, you prefer not to install an agent, then our server migration service from AWS, we have VMware appliance and a Hyper-V appliance and we can move, uh, we can move those. We, actually, we just launched, uh, actually yesterday, uh, moving server groups synchronously from VMware and Hyper-V, uh, which is another great way to automate yep. these, these app movements. But Cloud Endure, um, can take any type of, of VM or physical server that, that ultimately will work on EC2 and migrate it for you using an agent. I just yeah. wanted to. All right. Thanks. Yeah, and as I we decide to migrate the database servers using database migration services. And it, that can also be scripted because database migration services can run, um, can be invoked using cloud formations. And uh, it's a simple two endpoints JDBC connection. You just have to provide the uh, source database uh, IP address, username, and password, and the target database username and password, and uh, DMS is going to do the migration, the database migration work for you. Uh, the other factor that uh, we decided to use database migration services was it keeps uh, continuous replication to the target environment. So actually, I'm building up the new target environment without having to worry too much about the cutover date, uh, the cutover schedule or RPO and RTO because database migration services just keep that, uh, the database in sync for me. Yeah, so you can, just to drive that home, you can actually have, if, if your app allows it, you can have an instance of the app running in AWS before cutover and, yeah. and it continually being up to date with whatever data is happening on prod, uh, which really helps you for your cutover because <laughs> you can yeah. shut down the, the, the on-prem environment and then let, uh, once it, the database sync finishes, cut over. Yeah. And you can have tested it all before that happens. Yeah. The, the third element into this uh, migration factory was uh, the client. It's just uh, a any workstation computer where the operator is going to run the script that was pre-approved to orchestrate this migration. Uh, in the example that I have, I just use Cloud9 just because it's a, a, um, it's a, a available uh, computer in the, in the cloud, like a, a terminal in the cloud, but you can run that in your own desktop. But that's one of the key elements because this script was capable of orchestrating the steps on the migration. And as part of that, the first thing that scripts, um, uh, sorry, when I'm invoking the script, uh, I put some parameters when, when, when the operator invokes that. The first one is uh, host name, which server I want to migrate right now, and what application does it, this server makes part. So those very simple two parameters that I send to the script. So what the script does for me? Uh, first thing, it's going to check into Cloud Endure API if the server name I put into the parameter has a uh, matching name into Cloud Endure uh, database, if I already have installed an agent into that. If the server name matches, it's also going to uh, check if the server is in a ready state to be migrated. If so, if all the conditions are met, it's going to trigger another API uh, call to Cloud Endure 
to take a snapshot of the existing server and convert that into an EC2 server that's running into an isolated environment. It's just a temporary VPC that I use to test my application if it's work or not before I do the cutover. So it's a safe environment where I can spin up resources without impacting my production environment. Uh, one, of decision, one of the decision factors to use Cloud Endure, and not only Cloud Endure has that feature, but some other tools also have that, is post-migration installation scripts. So I can basically build up any kind of script that when the server boots as a first time as an EC2, it's going to do some uh, reconfiguration of that instance for me. In that specific case, we done was uh, check the configuration file for the application and replace the DNS endpoint that was an IP address. Just replace that with the new uh, Amazon RDS uh, endpoint because we decided as part of this architecture to use RDS. And it also does uh, some other stuff for me. For example, a very simple test. And by that is, once I change the DNS endpoint, is the, server up, uh, is the service up and running? Uh, is port 443 open and listening? Am I getting HTTP 200? So it's a very, very simple test. And that's eliminate one of the manual steps of validating if the application is working or not, or, or if the conversion works successfully. Uh, one key element into uh, the, this script is, once I establish this migration factory, the only script that I had to update for specific applications was the number four, because the way it was built, uh, I just customized the, the test and what uh, configuration file needs to be updated. And uh, that was the only piece of script that has to be custom for each one of the applications. So I, I reutilized all the others uh, scripts. And uh, th this was the only one that needed to be tailor-made per, per application. So what else this script does? Once all the tests has been successful, uh, uh, successful application was updated, uh, test has passed, I just write into an SNS topic saying, test equals succeed. It's just a sending a simple message saying, this server is safe. It passed my test. Um, here's the server ID. And here's the message saying it succeed. If it fails, it just triggers an email to the operator to manually fix whatever needs to be fixed. But if it succeeds, it's going to continue running the script and finishing the, the automation for me. I have a Lambda function that's connected to this SNS queue, uh, to this SNS topic. So the Lambda keeps monitoring the SNS topic and check every time a new server has message equal pass, that means all the tests has passed, um, it creates, uh, it takes a snapshot of that specific EC2 instance and creates an AMI for me. So I'm going to describe why we decided to use this AMI creation instead of just uh, lift and shift. Uh, it's in, in the next deck. If the AMI creation is successful, it writes down the instance ID, uh, the uh, host name, and the AMI ID for that new instance into an SQS queue. So you remember that the script that triggers all this was the number uh, three in uh, the, my operator script. Meanwhile, Cloud Endure is doing all the work and the PostScript migration is doing all the work. This uh, script that runs on the operator machine uh, keeps monitoring the queue for every time I see a new AMI ID. And when, I when it sees a new AMI ID, it's going to continue the operation for me, which is uh, one of the customer requirement was uh, I want to stop worrying about having a single point of failure for my application. And I want to have a full, highly available environment with elasticity by using auto-scaling groups. So the script, once we receive the AMAG, is going to launch a cloud formation that was pre-created, passing the following parameters. Uh, one, uh, it's going to create an uh, elastic load balancer, an auto-scaling group, and it's going to attach that AMAG as the auto-scaling group image that should be used to um, automatically span my uh, uh, application and create like a highly available environment. And uh, as I mentioned, the target database for this migration is an Amazon RDS with multi-AZ uh, strategy. So I, I basically had just to repoint my DNS records to RDS, which is already highly available if I check it to be so. So that was one of the strategies uh, during this migration. Yeah, and just as a, a note, if if we didn't have an app for whatever reason. We didn't want to to take the risk of making these changes, or it couldn't it couldn't scale this way. Uh, the, the the most significant change to to this this particular pattern would be we'd simply use Cloud Endure uh, default mode, which is it launches the EC2 instance for you with the latest uh, latest data and helps you manage the cutover. 
uh, of that server as part of the application. And the database migration service itself, you'd still, as long as if you're using one of the target RDS uh, supported databases, you would still, if you wanted, could take advantage of the multi-AZ uh, and the elasticity of, of RDS. Yeah, and thinking about uh, automation strategy, I can just uh, change the operator script to create a new flag saying, do you need a target that's highly available, yes or no? And I, if I don't want it, I can just change the way the script behaves and can spin up like a single environment, a single AZ environment or a highly available environment. It's just another flag, another if I insert into the script and um, that can be tailor-made. I've been talking a lot of scripts, you might think, wow, that's way too advanced or uh, I don't have the skills on how to um, create the scripts. Actually, part of this is I just want to show how simple that is. The intention of the scripts actually is uh, making the connection between the different elements into this migration and it works as just the glue that connects, like get these meshes from here, send to there. Uh, the, all the half lifting is being done by DMS and um, Cloud Endure. So the script is just the glue on how that works. Yeah, if, yeah so if, and there's a couple more, you got two more scripts to oh, the yeah. show. But before, I just want to say, if you came to this and you're like, oh, it's a 300 level, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get like really advanced code, code examples. The, 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 to, to kind of drive home Diego's point there, the, the tooling we have from both us and our partners is it's depending on your workloads, it can probably move a significant portion of your infrastructure. And, and making a decision to use those tools and then use their APIs, there's relatively low hanging fruit things like SNS uh, for notifying and monitoring and Lambda, which will show that help you re greatly accelerate it without much effort. Yeah, so it's just another example of the Lambda, Lambda, how it reads out of SNS, just checking if the message passes and follows to the next step. It's a less than 10 line script. And uh, this is one of the important things about uh, the script as well, is how do I keep track of the migration by using Migration Hub? So Migration Hub API accepts three different states for the application and, and servers, which is uh, the application migration has not started, uh, it's in progress, or it's completed. So I can simply include that those three notifications back to Migration Hub, so my operator or my project manager knows what's going on with that specific application. And can you just real quick relate that? Where in that diagram again was the, this? Is running once you mark once everything passed. Yeah. So I just invoke this uh, this uh, part of the script, this module, only when all my uh, application tests, like the canary tests, or uh, if everything is ready to, um, uh, to to for the cutover. So that's that. I only inform. Uh, actually, after the cutover. So I only form uh, Migration Hub when the test pass, when it's already done. And that, that's another piece. I talked about one of the benefits of, of automation being repeatability. Those cutover tests, they don't have to be, uh, I think yours is HTTP 200 checking yeah. a full set of scripts. Um, you don't, if you don't have canaries or you don't have a full testing regimen, even just for migration purposes, you can come up with some basic basic checks of app, web, app, web apps, for example, um, that then can be repurposed once in AWS as canaries. So it, the, the goal doesn't need to be have 100% coverage day one, but if you can have enough to have more confidence when you're migrating it, to know at least, okay, this is still isn't upright, then it, I can move, you can go back yeah. and troubleshoot it right away. It, it could be sending, for example, one email to the application owner saying, uh, here's the new endpoint test, if, and if you approve it, reply to this email, and I just keep monitoring a mailbox uh, saying if I receive an approval, we go yes. Uh, just flick the DNS, and the new application endpoint is going to be published to the end users. That could be another kind of automation that we can just expand uh, by modifying the, the the main script. So here's just an example, uh, a real um, running this script into this environment. As you can see on the screen, on the screen we have a migration hub, a main screen. Uh, then uh, I re-recorded this video uh, with uh, the application name that's Enterprise 319, which is the name of the session. And as you can see, the status on Migration Hub is in progress. So Migration Hub, uh, Cloud Endure already notified Migration Hub that the replication for this application already started. And the, just to, when that, the page will pop back up in a second. Yeah. So there's two types of statuses you can track in the hub. That's showing the application migration status is in progress. Mm -hmm. Everything in that diagram there and, and, and on your migration, once you have an app uh, in the table below, is the tools automatically reporting status back to the hub. Um, and so the Cloud Endure and Database Migration Service are two integrated tools. And if you left this page open, those the server and database statuses automatically update. So it would go to error if something went wrong and you probably get your notification. Mm -hmm. um, and then it goes, the app itself, 
itself will go from not started to in progress automatically. Uh, and then as his script's running, once it's fully cut over, because it's a high judgment decision, we, we still ask the customer, we'll have you uh, mark it as completed and cut over. Uh, or if you have a script set up to do it, it can mark it, which is what he's going to show here. And then after that, we'll, get to, we'll show the dashboard getting updated with all those all those key metrics and stuff. Yeah, so I just included in the scripts, I mean, uh, uh, all the steps I just mentioned in the previous deck. So uh, number one is connecting Cloud Endurer, it's triggering a new copy. Uh, the the uh, post-migration script is doing the application changes that I need, it's doing the validation tests. And the script, uh, the operator script, just keep checking to the SQS if the image is ready or not to proceed with the remaining, uh, the remaining part of the automation. And, and so your, your migration lead or whoever's managing this particular migration might, might take a look at this page. Um, but you know, you're like, oh, the, it said migration, you know, eliminate migration confusion was the title of this track. Well, the next, the next uh, uh, part of the video when it pulls up the dashboard is gonna show you how that app migration status rolls up into that. And so your, your, our customers we've heard and our partners spend a lot of time generating reports on how the migration is going because our customers understand they're spending a lot of money on moving uh, out of their data centers in a lot of time. And so they want to know. And now you don't have to worry about whether it's up to date or not. Uh, and they can yeah. simply go, you can give them an account themselves to go view it and they can see the status. Uh, just updated. So uh, the yeah. ME was built. I just trigger uh, the creation of the CloudFormation. I receive a success, uh, create complete from CloudFormation. I update Route 53 DNS record uh, to point to the new application because all of my tests passed. And I'm notifying uh, through email to the end users or to the application owner saying this is the new application endpoint for your application. And, uh, yeah, yeah and so now it, it scrolled past it, and I can pull it up again. It gave you the most recently updated apps, so I could also see there was an error in one of them. Now I got the total applications, statuses there, breakdown of in progress and not started for my whole portfolio based on my discovery data. And then I get a feel for my velocity. So it looks like we're picking things up in the most recent months. That's what that purple line gives you. It's a cumulative total for the time window. Mm -hmm. And so that was the, the dashboard with the key, the key metrics. And uh, now the final part is I'm just copying the uh, DNS record and testing like in a workstation to see if my application. And by the way, this application now is running on a fully highly available environment as part of this automation piece. So imagine how, mean, how many hours or days I've saved. Uh, we, we saved by doing automation uh, for this specific migration uh, in between building this environment like uh, uh, manually or um, doing like any other way. Yeah, and so no. that's it, right, of the video? Yep. Ah, thank you. <laughs> so we want to take time for questions. We have about, about 12 minutes. I just want to, with a, the closing thought is sort of to tie that up. So automating your migration provides you the speed, the repeatability, and the confidence to take advantage of AWS sooner, which uh, if, you guys, if, you, if you're considering a migration or you're in the middle of one and you did a business, detailed business case already or TCO analysis or someone in an organization did, um, all, of our, all, all of our models based on, on past customer experience and, and our, we have a cloud economics team that can help you build this or partners and tools too that can help you build the business case. We didn't get into that today. There was a whole set of se sessions on that too uh, and I'm sure they'll be up on YouTube. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the time saved getting out of your data center and not having to do hardware refresh and ha not, having to, um, not having to renew your data center lease. It, it, for a company with big data centers, thousands of servers, hundreds of apps, uh, one or more, that, that usually translates into you know, orders of magnitude of savings over anything else you can do in your migrations. Um, it, the, the, once you're on AWS is the time, then, then you can start start refactoring and, and re-architecting. Um, so we hope these have, have inspired you to work with your teams to realize the benefits uh, and look forward to, to questions um, and dive, no, we can dive into I, other types of patterns I, too. I forgot to mention one thing. This script yeah. is available on GitHub. So if you ah. want to get the address, uh, I can uh, provide later. Um, I just didn't put the link on the decks, but yes, uh, all, all the scripts are published into GitHub, AWS GitHub. So you can just reuse those. No, I'll be happy. <laughs> questions? Yes? So I understand that the cloud migration hub agent does the discovery, um, right? Um, so what, so can cloud endure agent be used for discovery? I'm, I'm trying to understand what's like the, the overlap. Mm -hmm. In the case of cloud, I mean, you, if you have a, if you have a high confidence in the servers that make up your environment, 
then and the and the dependencies between them and the applications and how you're going to move them, then you could use um, you could use Cloudendor to do do the discovery. I believe Cloudendor does have now some bit like v, v Center. Uh, I think it can check. I think they launched that relatively recently. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, but it, from a it, discovery is more than just knowing what servers you have. Uh, so the Migration Hub integrates the application discovery service agent. That's the one with the agent, and that's the agent itself. The reason he installed the agent is because that's what's collecting the network dependencies. The processes are running on the server, and our our partner my, uh, discovery tools do that too. Um, but it, if what we found is customers, that's a it's not an unusual question. Um, and the, the, our, our answer is almost always, if you have more than a few hundred servers, the time spent doing the discovery, whether it be with our, the, the application discovery service, which is free, or one of our partner tools, is almost always worth it. Because it, what, ha what we've seen happen on many projects is a customer will say, well, I don't want to, it's intrusive if I use an agent, or you can use, there are agentless versions, or I just don't want to go through the security process. Um, and they end up having to do that anyways later because they realize, hey, we missed something really important. And so using discovery tooling is, is really key to just being able to move really fast with confidence. I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Oh, yes. When you say hard, you mean hard coded in your application? Okay. So the the first question. So the uh, our our app, our discovery service, the uh, uh, the agent and the connector, your two collectors, they uh, they will work with a your your own proxy. So you can you can configure them for a proxy server. Uh, they don't at this point that this time they don't support private link. Uh, so one of the common patterns, of course, is establish direct X, uh, direct direct connect or a VP VPN to AWS and use private link. So. Oh, so the data never leaves? Yes. Okay. Yeah. There are third-party tools that we yeah. partner with that are capable of doing that. Risk Networks is one example because you deploy a virtual appliance inside of your on-prem and that virtual appliance collects all the data that you need. So actually the data never goes abroad unless you approve it. Yeah, and so yeah, ours doesn't support that mode, but we have there's great partner tooling around there that does. Yep. And then, oh, you had... Uh, Hard coded, yes. So the, the, our, the ADS today, our service does not do that. Uh, I I don't know. I don't. I can't speak for the other discovery tools on that. Do they? Any of the discovery tools do app level, uh, like hard coded, like, like risk? Yeah, they're not. Uh, uh, look uh, into uh, that, I, I don't think. remember any name, but I've seen some tools that. Yeah, yeah so, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so there, there are. Um, I, I know there's there's strategies there too. Uh, you can, if you have a auto, if you have a platform like Ansible or just even Microsoft Systems Center, you could you could also script sort of searching for files that have the IPs in specific directories. Um, there are. I I don't. I can't say for certain, but in our in our competencies, there's um, one of there's several tools around APM uh, application performance monitoring and. Um, they're, they're often used for um, breaking the monolith, so things like um, uh, AppDynamics and Dynatrace. And it's, it, I would, I would have, Dynatrace may do, those tools may do that. They get really deep into your specific applications and their config files. Um, and so they're, they're going to have a level of visibility that most discovery tools don't get at this time. But uh, you can use, just as a note, you can use those tools for discovery. They, they're like, but they do a lot more than discovery. They, they, they do a lot of great things. I'm <laughs> so you, it's a commitment to deploy those too. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think the most difficult part would be uh, applications that actually have the hard-coded uh, IP address and you don't have the source code anymore. Right. So, so in that case, automation uh, would be, think about how you can scale out your migration and scale like to 80% a model that would scale to 80% of your environment, and then you just handle it manually to 20%. Because, I mean, not, some, not, not for all applications uh, you can apply the same model, but uh, scale using like standards for everything you can, and just keep cycles for things that are out of standard. Yeah, that's a that's a good example. If if you if you're confident enough that you don't have a lot of apps, but of course everybody probably has some that have hard coded IPs. If your scripts are, if you can build a, a an a automation that's enough to say, okay, this app failed, 
let's work on this later and just put it in like a queue. You can keep moving on the ones that did work. And then of course, if, it's, if you've realized it's a repeatable pattern, integrate that into the script and then it pays benefits. But you don't have to slow down the train if, if, unless it's a cr critical app, which in which case you're probably being a little more focused on it um, anyways, um, just for a few that might have hard-coded IPs. Now obviously, if it's, if it's most of your portfolio, then it's a, it's a different ball game there. Any other questions? Yes. So uh, that's uh, that's almost all of our customers. Um, so, uh, is there something specific? You mean from a discovery perspective? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, if uh, all, all the discovery tools we talked about, so Risk Networks, our own application discovery service, they'll discover Windows and Linux. Um, the specific versions does vary per tool and how they collect. Like our agent um, has a an official list of, of what we support in Linux, and then we have in our documentation like minimum requirements. So if your kernel is this version and you have glibc of this version, you can probably run our, our agent sort of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, almost all of them, any work, they're, they're targeting mo customers moving to AWS. So if the workload can run on AWS, the discovery tool usually can, can help you with yeah, that. Yeah, for example, if you go back to this script, uh, the only things that would have to change is uh, number one, the script that deploys the agents because the way Windows and Linux install agents is different, uh, the binaries. And uh, number four, uh, the post migration script that's going to update the application specifics. So those are the two elements. All the other items, they can be reutilized as part of the migration factory. So uh, th those are the only fine tunings that you need to adjust for different kind of OSs. So, so the question is, can you also target VM, VM, VMware, VMC on AWS, VMware on AWS? Uh, using we, yeah, using application discovery service. Um, so we don't, it's, it's not officially supported as like a tested platform, um, but the, the agent can, if, if the VM itself, just start with the agent, because it's a, it's a straightforward answer. If, if the VM running on VMC on AWS is a supported uh, operating system for our agent, you can discover it with the agent. Uh, my, I, I'm not from the VMC on AWS team, but my understanding of it is that it is standard VMware APIs and you can use normal, uh, normal VMware appliances. So the connector, the connector should work, but we haven't, we haven't tested it on that specifically, so I, I can't comment to whether. Yeah, and that's where that's where the agent you're, you're going to have high confidence. You can, assuming you're Windows and Linux mostly, yeah. that you can you can install the agent on the VMs. You're going to get your network dependencies. You'll have to do some with our service. You're going to do some some analysis with Athena and QuickSight. Uh, if you want some more automated stuff, definitely look at our partners like Risk uh, and Adavision. Adavision is another one, yeah. um, and uh, Cloudomize is another big no, one. Yeah, but but for example, they have, uh, still talking about application discovery services. If you're if you're referring to the agent version. Yes, that will work with VMware Cloud in AWS. For the agentless version, um, I don't know if it's going to help uh, solve your problem because the agentless yeah. version does not detect the network connections. It only tells insights about OS, memory, and CPU. Yeah, thank you for so, clarifying yeah, that. Yeah. So that's, that's another point. Like, so if you're, if you're willing to solve that by installing agents in each one of the VMs, in that case, yes, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to work. Okay, we got uh, probably time for one more question, if there is one. Yep. Yeah, our, our ADS's agent does require uh, admin, administrator or root, root access in order to be able to, to, to read the information that it needs to be able to read. But, uh, no reboot is required, so at least you don't have downtime uh, okay. while installing the agents. Okay, and I'm sure that the list of operating systems 
Yeah, and it, it, the, 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 the official list is in the docs and it's on, it's on the Migration Hub, which is the console for the Application Discovery Service. So you'll want to go to the Application Discovery Service docs. Not, migration Hub docs are focused on the migration tracking piece. Um, and uh, in there you'll see the official OSs and then there's the note on sort of Linux OSs that, or Linux requirements if you want to uh, run it on a, a Linux host that, that's not officially supported. It, uh, it, that'll hit a lot of modern, uh, a lot of <coughs> slightly older versions of Linux that may not be officially listed. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that there's a not started in progress and a done tags. Is that configurable so that you can set up other tags like you have that one? Mm -hmm. So that the application status, which is the three you just said, it, today is not configurable. So it's those three. But the servers within the app, uh, the, the APIs our tooling used, just as a note, is available in the SDK. So if you, and a CLI, if you wanted to do your own sort of thing, maybe with a CI CD pipeline. Uh, those, you have a few more options. You have error, but you also have a freeform status detail field where you can describe it how you want. It'll actually show up in the console. Um, and that's all described in the migration hub docs. Um, and I think, uh, oh, did I miss? Under validation, for example, can you customize the? Yeah, you could use in progress and then validation. But you don't have, the app status right now is more narrow. It's those three. Yeah. And we have heard that, that request. Would you be more interested in app status or would the server do your needs there? Thank you. And uh, I think we're officially out of time, yep. but uh, we're happy to stay for a few minutes and answer more questions. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming.